This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is that member of the Freightways family of Freightcast where we talk about oil and diesel. Since not only do you need that to make trucks move, but it also provides a lot of employment for truck drivers. We also drill deep with a guest, and today it's Todd Fowler of KeyBank. Todd is coming off earnings season. He's been listening to all those earnings calls with analysts, and he's going to tell us what the numbers mean about the state of the trucking industry. Let's talk about oil and diesel first. Let's talk about specifically about diesel. Right now, as I record this, this is one of those weeks where the lag between the DOE and the EIA weekly diesel price and the actual price at the pump can cause consumers of diesel a whole lot of agita. The market's been very volatile recently in the commodity markets and the wholesale rack markets. There's already was an upward movement in prices last week. That's continued. Average retail prices in the U.S. have risen about nine cents per gallon since the day after Election Day. But when the DOE pushed out its number last Monday, it was up only just 1.1 cents per gallon from the prior week. Retail prices have continued to move higher since Monday, up another four and a half cents, according to the retail price data in Sonar that you can find under the DTS data series. Uh, Those retail prices have been boosted in part by the fact that all asset classes have moved up this week in the wake of the news that Pfizer may have found a workable and efficient vaccine to combat COVID-19. The idea behind fuel surcharges is to try and ensure that the cost of fuel just become a pass-through. The carriers are saying, we'll just set the price of fuel based on a very visible number. We'll charge you, the shipper, for that, and we'll let the chips fall where they may. Over time, it does work pretty good. There's no doubt, though, that there are periods when it can provide a windfall for carriers, like when the price falls rapidly at the pump, but before that fall gets reflected in the DOE EIA price. And of course, there are times when it provides a serious headwind for carriers, like now. The price at the pump is rising, the DOE price gets stuck in place for seven days, and it becomes a burden for buyers of diesel. By midweek this week, which is when I'm recording this, that surge in prices that was caused by the Pfizer announcement had stabilized. Additionally, the price of diesel had started to move in the commodity markets at a pace weaker than the price of crude, as we know that's the second key part of how the price of diesel at the pump gets set. First, it's the price of crude. Then it's the differential between crude and diesel. And again, over time, things tend to smooth out and the surcharge will accurately reflect the long-range cost of diesel to the buyers. But this is not one of those weeks when that happens. The relatively small increase in the DO price last week, I know it caught me by surprise. Our data showed bigger increases at the pump and the wholesale prices were certainly much higher than a 1.1 cent increase would have suggested. But that is not what happened. And, you know, this tends to prove what everybody has always known about retail gasoline and diesel prices. Getting a good stream of data and providing a single number for the entire country can be very, very difficult. It's one of those things where it's almost like there's just too much data out there with so many data points, but the transmission of them isn't great. 
There's so many variables geographically that change, and pulling out a single number from them can prove to be very, very challenging. We're coming off a period of fuel stability that resulted in just small moves in the market, up or down, really for months. I'm not saying that period of fuel stability is over. That's a whole other program. I don't necessarily think it's over. But what has happened in the last week does show that things can get volatile and there can be a disconnect between the price at the pump and the DOE price. Time for a look back now on what just happened in the earnings reports that have come out over the last few weeks, the third quarter earnings report. And with us to do that, as we've had him here before on Trillion Deep, is Todd Fowler of KeyBank. Todd is the company's transportation analyst. He was on just about all the calls that I know I listen to, all the uh, earnings calls with analysts. And he's going to speak with us today about what he thought the quarter was like. Todd, welcome to Drilling Deep. Hey, John. Thanks. It's great to be here. So if I had to sum up things real quick, you know, one one or two brief sentences, um, when I looked over what happened is that most companies did a little better than expected. But, you know, for all the evidence of this great freight market, it didn't seem like there were these real blowout performances that you might have expected. And a lot of stocks reflected that. A lot of company stocks fell after earnings or at most they were kind of neutral, uh, even though any misses that were out there were not huge misses. What do you think of my take on it or is, is yours completely different? No, John, I think that you really kind of captured, you know, what we saw coming through earnings season. And, you know, if I had to kind of characterize why we saw the stocks react the way we did and maybe even why we saw the earnings come together the way we did, you know, this was a quarter where expectations were very high. Um, you know, there were a lot of data points that um, we, as, a lot, as well as a lot of other industry observers, saw and heard throughout the quarter that really suggested uh, that results were going to be strong. Uh, and so that moved expectations up. And I think in many instances, you know, the companies reported something that was, you know, better than where, you know, published estimates were. But again, that that expectation behind what people were expecting was probably a little bit higher. And I think if you take a step back and think about, you know, the way the quarter came together, you know, look, most of us in the financial community, you know, we run spreadsheets. We don't run companies. And the difference between some of the data points that we track at, at 30,000 or 40,000 feet by the time they translate down to the bottom line, there's a lot of moving parts um, that you know take to translate from a very good spot market into what a company's going to report on a quarterly earnings basis. Yeah, what's what's notable is that there weren't, I don't know that there were any companies that before the quarter announcements began said, we're going to do better than expected. So that was kind of almost suggested there. I know in the past several quarters, there have been a couple of companies that came out, you know, maybe in that third month of the quarter and said, hey, we're going to do better than a consensus. And I don't think there were any this period. Yeah, there were a, a small select handful that we saw some positive pre-announcements for. You know, Covenant uh, Logistics Group had a pre-announcement that, that came out that said that they were going to do better than where consensus was. Um, it was probably lost a little bit in the shuffle, but Forward Air put out a pre-announcement uh, at some point kind of mid-October, you know, relatively late from a pre-announcement standpoint, saying that their results were coming in better. But, you know, really the whole, you know, um, uh, you know, pre-announcing type phenomenon is really driven by a couple of different things. And some of it comes down to, you know, what companies really have formal guidance out and, and kind of knowing something that's going to be better than a formal expectation, uh, the timing of when they're going to report and the timing of when things came together. But I, I would agree, compared to what we've seen in the past and relative to how strong the environment was, the number of true positive pre-announcements was a little bit um, 
lighter than we expected. And one last name I should throw in the mix, uh, Landstar did speak publicly at an investor conference in early September. You know, they raised their guidance at that point, and they still cleared that higher bar when they actually reported. So we did have a few indications, but I agree with your, your comment that it wasn't maybe as broad based as what we've seen in prior quarters. It did seem that a lot of the companies that did better did so because they kept their costs in line, which I'm sure was a real challenge given the rise in driver pay, freight rates, et cetera. Uh, is that going to be a challenge to continue that going forward? Well, look, I mean, you know, there, there's two levers you can pull on, on kind of, you know, driving margin improvement and earnings upside. And one's the top line in the revenue piece. And, and, and a lot of that can be out of companies' controls, depending on what's happening with the volume environment and what's happening with pricing. The piece that's really within companies' controls is their ability to, to, to manage the expense side of the equation and really pull that lever. And really, I think that, you know, going back to the second quarter, um, when we were really, <laughs> you know, we, we jumped right into the third quarter. We didn't talk too much about what a difference, you know, a, a couple of months has made. But, you know, the second quarter was an environment where companies also did a good job of responding very quickly on the expense side and, and managing the cost side. And I think a lot of that carried forward into, into the third quarter, um, being very careful and cautious with expenses, just given the uncertainty of the environment. Look, I think you're 100% right. I mean, we're seeing indications of cost inflation. You know, typically, uh, as we see rates go up, trucking companies over a period of time give a portion of those rate increases back to their drivers. So that's the natural cost inflation that we see within the industry. Um, and, and then, you know, as you know, we've known for a period of time, I mean, there's a lot of other inflationary costs that are uh, surrounding the trucking company, if it's insurance costs, equipment costs. And so all of those are going to start to come back in. Um, so it is going to be more difficult, but what I would say in general is, you know, really this year has been, you know, we've seen very, very solid execution kind of across the board on the cost side. And a lot of the companies have done a very good job of managing the cost environment in what's been a very uncertain and, and kind of choppy demand environment. Let's turn our attention to some specific companies and some specific questions. I thought one of the more interesting developments during the quarter was a pretty big one-time dividend payout at Schneider. I mean, they do they do pay a dividend otherwise. This is not an industry known for paying out a lot of yield. Were they just simply carrying too much cash on their books? Were you surprised by that step? Well, you know, um, so in, in hindsight, it's one of those things that makes sense. I mean, that they did build up an excess cash balance. Um, and, and so from that standpoint, you know, it does make sense that that's a way to return capital, return value to shareholders, you know, through the vehicle of a special dividend. And, and it's not completely unheard of. You know, Heartland's done it in the past. Um, you know, we've seen it, you know, from uh, a couple of the other truckload carriers. Um, we weren't necessarily expecting it from a timing standpoint. Um, and, and I think, again, um, had you asked us, you know, maybe a couple of months ago about the, the likelihood of special dividends in an uncertain environment, it typically makes sense for companies to conserve more cash and kind of have that in their back pocket uh, to kind of weather any sort of unforeseen um, circumstances. Um, but I think what it speaks to from Schneider's standpoint is that they've got more confidence uh, in the improvement in the environment going forward. Uh, they probably feel less need to kind of keep that cash on hand. Um, and I think that that's a good indication both for, for their business and for the broader industry um, that they're willing to, to make that special dividend payment uh, here in this environment. Yeah, you know, you talk about things changing from the second to the third period, quarter. At the beginning of the pandemic, one of the pieces of advice that a lot of financial analysts had for their for companies was pull down your revolvers, pull them all down right now, because you just don't know what's going to happen. And now here we are. That was that was the advice being given out at the beginning of the second quarter. And here you have, granted, it's just one company, but still 
a special dividend payout, you know, four or five months later, or maybe more than that, you know, six months later. Really astounding. Not not something you would have expected to see. Well, so. and, and yeah, and John, I mean, I think that really what that that captures is again, I mean, just the difference, you know, uh, of the environment that we were in, you know, particularly in April and May, um, and, and where we were in August and September, and, and now into October. Um, and, and I think that you know, probably more than anything, I mean, it really speaks to. Um, you know, the industry and, and the importance of this, the industry to the economy, almost regardless of what sort of environment that we're in. Um, and I also think it speaks to, you know, how a lot of these companies, again, have, have managed through and navigated what's been a very challenging, you know, six month period. And, and again, you know, it's, it's somewhat unbelievable to think about, you know, the things that we're talking about, you know, today versus what we would have been talking about just five or six months ago. Uh, you know, what a difference really several months have made. Uh, again, talking some specific companies on the LTL side, I know that you raised your forecast for the outlook for SIA. SIA's stock has been soaring now for several weeks. I know I generally look at the new 52-week highs and lows pretty much every day. SIA's had a new 52-week high for many, many days over the last couple of weeks. Uh, clearly, you like the story there. Why don't you talk about it? Yeah, look, there's there's several things, you know, and maybe just starting off uh, more broadly with the LTL industry. Um, you know, this is an industry, again, that just did a fantastic job uh, of managing, you know, particularly the variable costs. And by variable costs, we're talking about, you know, labor, um, labor hours, dock workers, those sorts of things during the downturn. Uh, I think that the investment community has thought about the LTL industry, you know, for a long period of time as having higher fixed costs, which they do in running the terminals and, and running the, the line hall networks. Um, but again, coming through the second quarter, the whole industry really just did a fantastic job of adjusting their variable costs to where, where volumes were. Um, and we were looking at the industry where volumes in the second quarter were down, you know, somewhere in the mid-teen type level. Coming through the third quarter, you know, we started to see that recovery. The sequential trends really started to improve. And I think what's very encouraging, particularly for for SIA, um, is some of the trends that we saw late in the quarter um, and then into, into October with some of the initial tonnage trends. And we've seen tonnage really flip positive, um, which is a really good indication in the ability to drive margin improvement going forward. And then lastly, the whole industry has really maintained their pricing discipline throughout this cycle and really even some of the softer freight that we saw uh, in 2018. And so this is an industry that's really found religion when it comes to the pricing aspect. And so when you put all of those elements together, you know, you really get a, a nice secular you know, component to the LTL industry. You've got the cyclical recovery that's happening. And then with SIA specifically, you know, they've got um, an organic growth story where they're expanding their geographic footprint into the Northeast. So there's a growth component to that. And again, this is a management team that's done a better job from an execution standpoint uh, over the last four or five years. And, and so all of those pieces, when you put them together, you know, the stocks had an amazing run. Um, but as you look forward and you think about what the earnings power could look like, you know, they're still trending around a 10% margin. You know, you've got the industry leader, Old Dominion, at a plus 20% margin. So really a lot of runway for Sai and the team there is just doing a very good job in, in managing and executing with the business. Yeah, I noticed, I think it was two days ago, two days from before the day we're taping this, um, the uh, the only two trucking companies that hit 52-week highs, this was on the day of the, the gigantic gains as a result primarily of the vaccine news, were Old Dominion and SIA. So anyway, let's talk about a, cu- a couple of companies that I was on the call for all three of them. Um, and they struck me as having similarities in that they're all overhauling themselves or trying to and where they ended up. So, you know, Ryder earlier this year took big write downs on the value of their fleet. Um, now they're actually doing better in the, the, the sale of the used vehicles. Talked about that last week on Drilling Deep. 
Uh, U.S. Express is changing to its variant fleet, a complete overhaul in the way they do business. Their earnings weren't good during the quarter. They got hammered, but Eric Fuller, the CEO, was, you know, I almost say defiant, like, we're going to do this. We are committed to this. And finally, Covenant also is another company going through a lot of sweeping changes. They actually did a lot better. I mean, their changes, I think, are already starting to show up on the bottom line. Um, those three stories, any quick comments on those? Well, I think I think that maybe the common thread with all of those is one of the you know, challenges of being a public company is that you have to come out on a quarterly basis and give everybody an update on what's going on. And, and when you think about some of the things that you know all three of those companies have been tackling, you know some have been a little bit more you know company specific with Rider and working through some of the used truck valuations. Uh, for U.S. Express and for Covenants, they're you know more on kind of you know overhauling the business. You know, John, those are things that take long periods of time. And for the investment community, we're marking things on a quarterly basis. Uh, you know, we have the tendency to possibly be a little bit impatient and, and, you know, looking for things to happen sooner than later. You know, these are all things where, you know, would benefit the companies if they could go in their cocoon, you know, take a couple of years and then come out as the beautiful butterfly. But, you know, they've got to come to the confessional on a quarterly basis and it's not going to be a smooth road. So that's maybe kind of one common thread, you know, I would say on all of that. Um, but the other piece that's really going to help all of those companies, and, and we saw this with Ryder, and I think that we'll see it with with U.S. Express and Covenant as we you know, move a little bit further you know, down the road, is you know when you get a tailwind, you know it helps all the runners in the race, and and so the fact that we are getting this rising tide in this improving environment, you know that does make any of the restructuring or any of the turnaround efforts or whatever term you want to use for what these companies are doing. Um, you know, it makes it, it, it's never easy, but it, but it definitely makes it a little bit easier when you've got the wind at your back. Right. Um, what did you come out of these calls thinking that contract rates were going to do next year? I know that that's the question, the question that analysts always ask, um, what all the executives are speaking to, what are contract rates going to do? I heard a lot of different numbers. Did you have any kind of conclusion? Well, yeah, look, I mean, our, our conclusion, I would say, is pretty probably consistent with, with what you heard. And that's that, you know, the, the, right now, you know, the contract market is um, below below value. You know, it needs to move up. And with everything that we're seeing, it's going to be at the high end of what the historical ranges have been. And so if you look over a 10-year period, your contract renewals have ranged from being down low single digits to up high single digits. Uh, we're coming off of a year where, you know, 2020 is going to be a year where the contract market has renewed, you know, down low single digits. Last year was kind of a, a very low single digit positive renewal. So if we just got back to the average, uh, which would be, uh, you know, two to three percent type increase, you know, we would easily need to see something in 21 that's in that that mid single digit range. And really, when we look at the spread right now between spot and contract, um, and you know, the spot market is a leading indicator for what we're going to see in the contract market. The spot market, particularly in the fourth quarter when it's tight, it is probably you know the best support for improved contract pricing as you get into any subsequent year. So, John, all of these things really point to, and again, the numbers that we heard on all these calls, you know, you heard them, I heard them, were high single digit, low double digit type contract renewals. Um, you know, it's going to vary, you know, customer by customer, you know, kind of maybe what your contract renewal was, you know, this year when you renewed your contract earlier versus later. Um, but but there's no doubt it's going to be at that higher end of the historical range. Um, and when it's all said and done, you know, again, based on kind of the strength that we're seeing in the spot market, the tightness, the type of freight that's moving, um, you know, we, we could see, you know, 21 being in that maybe even the, in the low double digit range, which um, would be better than what we've seen, you know, on, you know, looking back over the last 10 years. Well, as things have turned around very rapidly, 
Um, any companies that flew under the radar, big winners, big losers that might not get uh, quite the attention that a lot of other bigger firms get that, that you really impressed you or, or failed to impress you? Well, look, I think that one thing that was you know really kind of notable, uh, particularly on the truckload side, is um, Werner took up their longer term margin guidance uh, here uh, on their third quarter call. So they're talking about a normalized operating margin of 13 percent. Uh, historically, that had been 11 percent. And they're talking about a 300 basis point range kind of throughout the cycle. So, you know, when the freight market's not good being at 10 percent and when things are really good being at 16 percent. And, and John, what I really think is notable about that is, you know, companies don't take those sorts of an- announcements lightly. I mean, that's something that they put a little a lot of thought into um, and, and really want to make sure that they're putting out something that's achievable and believable. So the fact that you know they really felt the confidence in, in putting out or putting a new stake in the ground or moving the stake forward, whatever term you want to use, I think is really notable for how they feel about really their business and their, you know, the improvements that they've made. And so I think that that's a piece that, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, drinking from the fire hose. There's a lot of information in a short period of time, but to me, that's a, that's a very notable comment that a company made during, during uh, a quarterly earnings report. Yeah. You mentioned Landstar earlier, and I know that uh, there was another analyst that I speak to who told me one time that when he wants to know what capacity is, or if he's looking for a good indicator on capacity, he goes to Landstar's BMO number that comes out every quarter. And it was notable that even in this great freight rain, uh, freight market, I don't have the number in front of me, but it didn't go up by all that much. And that really leads to me to my final question, which is how tight is capacity in terms of driver shortage, driver squeeze, and what that's going to be doing to to rates, both spot and contract uh, over the next six months? Is it I mean, is this worse than 2018, maybe being aggravated this time around because you've got the drug and alcohol clearinghouse issue? Yeah, you know, capacity is a, is a really tough number to track. You know, we always say it's a little bit like herding cats. And as I think as everybody who's probably, you know, listening to, to this podcast realizes that, you know, there's a lot of shadow capacity in the market that when things are, are tight, you know, you start to see this capacity kind of drift back in. And when things kind of, um, you know, loosen up, then it gets parked back along the fence row or deployed in a different application. But I think that some of the indications, if it's, if it's Landstar's, you know, BCO count, if it's even just looking at, you know, what the public fleets are doing, where we saw a lot of public fleets shrinking their over-the-road capacity on a year-over-year basis in the third quarter, despite just a you know, tremendous spot market, you know, really does point to how, how, how challenging the market is. And, and I think you're exactly right, John. I mean, I think that the one difference this time is you know, we're seeing truck production, we're seeing truck orders move up, um, but the ability to seat those trucks is the big challenge right now. And, and the big difference in the market is when you look at some of the numbers that are out there with the federal drug and, ha- drug and alcohol clearing house, you know, it's a situation where you've removed, you know, 35, 40,000 drivers out of the market. And if you thought that there's a million over the road drivers, you know, that's, that's three or 4% of the population. Mm-hmm. So that's something that's pretty tight, significant. In a tight market, taking three and a half to 4% out of either side of the supply demand equation is an enormous number. It really is, John. No, it's it's an exceptional number, and and then when you also think about the pipeline of recruiting and bringing new drivers in, you know, a lot of the the driver schools have either been shut down um, because of you know pandemic type concerns. You know, so if they were run through a community college, maybe they weren't up and running for a period of time. 
um, or you know, just the ability to to train and have a driver sitting in a in a cab with another driver again with social distancing. You know, that's something that's you know a lot of drivers aren't raising their hand and looking to do. And then we just heard that there's you know some attrition where you know people who have worked very hard for a big part of their career. These are, are individuals who are out on the front line taking risk every day and saying, hey, is it really worth it in this environment? So uh, the, the driver market's challenging. It kind of brings it full circle with what you mentioned earlier. You know, this is going to result in driver pay increases, but it's something that's very well deserved uh, for people who have really helped, you know, kind of keep our economy moving in a, in a very difficult year. Todd, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. John, great to talk to you. Um, uh, really happy to do it. Our guest today has been Todd Fowler. He's the Chief Transportation Analyst at KeyBank. Um, I think we kind of got you on a six-month schedule, Todd. So we'll we'll talk to you after the first quarter, I guess, right, the first quarter of uh, of 2021. Yeah, well, been- and that could that could be two or three cycles based on what we've That's seen right. in the last six months. Exactly. So. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from FreightWaves. We are on all the major platforms for podcasts. I've been your host, John Kingston. I hope you join us again. Thank you.